Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Derek Ochi from the Nurshall Orthopedic Center in Arlington, Virginia. Dr. Ochi was the author of an editorial commentary titled, When Gluteal Strengthening Fails, Hip FAI Correction is the Ultimate Physical Therapy, which was published in the March 2021 edition of Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome Dr. Ochi and thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you very much for having me, Dr. Spiker. So, Derek, to start us off, can you please just tell us a little bit about you and your practice? Uh, sure. I'm a part of a single specialty group of orthopedic surgeons in Arlington, Virginia, that's inside the beltway of the DMV, if people are from the D.C. area. I have a predominantly uh, hip arthroscopy practice, so 90% of my practice is uh, hip arthroscopy and hip preservation, and the other 10% is people that I've already operated on their hips and they tore their ACL or they uh, dislocated their shoulder. Okay, great. Well, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about your editorial commentary in which you commented on the article titled, Volume of Gluteus Maximus and Minimus Increases After Hip Arthroscopy for Femoral Acetabular Impingement Syndrome. This was published by Yang, Mamtaman, Duan, Sun, Zhu, Zhang, Zhang, Huang, and Wang from the Institute of Sports Medicine, Peking University Third Hospital in Beijing, China. So when you were reading through this article, what did you find the most important takeaways from their study as it applies to your practice? Well, this article really spoke to me. I am a huge believer in physical therapy. And this article showed that uh, not only was gluteus maximus minimus cross-sectional area, which is a surrogate for strength, decreased in patients with femoral tablet impingement, they showed that after correction of femoral tablet impingement, that strength improved, the cross-sectional area increased, and that was also correlated with the MHHS and uh, VAS scores. So it actually showed not only did cross-sectional area increase, but as that increased, patient's uh, satisfaction also increased. Is that something that you've seen in your own practice as well? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the I, I don't operate on people the first time I see them. Uh, unless they're like a second or third opinion. But um, for the most part, I always try to do physical therapy first. And, you know, if you can improve core gluteal strength, that sometimes is enough, Uh, even in high-level athletes or sometimes especially in high-level athletes, that if you can change their hip biomechanics by changing, uh, like, the hip spine strength, then that may be enough so that they're asymptomatic, at least for the time being. Uh, And, you know, certainly I'm a big believer in physical therapy afterwards as well. Uh, And I I try to make the patients buy in to physical therapy because it's so important. I actually, the, the title of the editorial is Ultimate Physical Therapy Aid, or ultimate physical therapy, that is because that's a saying that I use all the time in my, in my practice. 
if I see somebody for the first time with FAI, they've been having pain for three to six months, I have them do physical therapy, uh, core gluteal strengthening. And after a few months, if they're not improving, sometimes I use an injection to uh, try to calm down the hip and see if they can change how they're doing their physical therapy um, with using the injection as a catalyst. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then we do surgery. But I tell patients that the the hip arthroscopy and FAI correction, that's the ultimate physical therapy aid. So now we're going to biomechanically change your hip so that you can then get better with physical therapy. That's a really great way to think about it. And I have a very similar experience in my patients. Uh, and I was wondering if this is something that has evolved in your understanding and, and the way that you practice over time, has this always been the way that you've approached patients who come to you with FAI or hip pain? Well, I've always been super conservative. I think that comes from my sports medicine fellowship uh, training, um, you know, both like with Dr. Nershall in uh, Arlington and uh, along with the traveling uh, fellowship where a lot of other people practice the same way around the country is that uh, conservative approach for uh, sports medicine conditions, that's for 99% of the time, that's the way to go, uh, at least initially. Uh, you want to start as minimally invasively as possible and then work your way up from that. I, I will say that I've gotten more aggressive in my physical therapy over time. When I first started doing uh, FAI correction, I think that was... I think 2007 was the first time I, I did a, a, an osteoplasty. Uh, I was scared to death of people getting a hip fracture. Uh, there was a couple of case reports that came out uh, a couple of years prior to me starting to do it where uh, there was overcorrection and um, uh, femoral neck fractures. So I was really conservative in my therapy and, and limiting weight bearing and you know, crutches for for three weeks. Uh, I, I've gotten much more aggressive in how quickly I rehab. So, you know, another one of my sayings that I, I tell patients before surgery is that your rehabilitation is going to start the minute surgery is over. So, you know, like the next day, I want them um, at least the next day or preferably that day, like walking with crutches and simulating walking. So putting as much weight on their leg as they feel comfortable and using the crutches for the other part of the weight. You know, starting those, you know, circumduction exercises, which a lot of people do, I start that, you know, the day after surgery. Uh, you know, it, and I'm, I'm trying to get them off crutches. I mean, I'm unless there's a reason to keep them on it for something specific. But in general, I'll try to get them off crutches as soon as they can walk without a noticeable limp. That's very similar to my own post-operative rehab protocol. Would you mind at this point just telling us a little bit more about the, the general uh, rehab protocol after hip arthroscopy that you use? Sure. I A lot of insurance companies for better or worse, limit the number of therapy visits uh, for a specific incident. I'm using air quotes, which includes surgery. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I usually don't start uh, formal physical therapy until after the stitches uh, come out, and, and that's because I'm having them do things that would be appropriate for uh, immediate post-op anyway, uh, using a friend or family member to do their circle exercises. If they have access to a stationary bike, they can start spinning no resistance 10 minutes a day the, the day after surgery. Uh, I offer a compression ice machine. Uh, I think that really helps with uh, post-op pain and, 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 and could limit narcotic use after surgery. And then I start formal physical therapy uh, after the stitches come out in you know, about two weeks. That's going to be a progression, uh, very similar to the article that I uh, cited in the editorial, where it's a progression um, where it's you know core gluteal strengthening, um, bridges, clamshells, quad strengthening, planks, uh, and as they are gaining more dynamic control of their hip, as the weeks go by, uh, then using more dynamic strengthening and uh, going all the way up to plyometrics. I mean, the one thing I, I, I do tell my therapist, and, and if, a, if a patient isn't going to our therapy clinic, then uh, I certainly write it on the prescription, is limit hip flex strengthening. Uh, hip flexor strengthening is really not necessary. Usually there's nothing wrong with the hip flexor. It's just irritated either from the label tear and impingement or from the surgery that was done right after to correct it, and, they're, uh, and it's irritated from that. You know, so I tell uh, my therapist it's core gluteal strengthening and drag the hip flexor along. <laughs> That's a good way to think about it. I agree that the uh, abductors are often probably the most important component of this, which is bringing us back to the article that you commented on and your editorial. I agree also that the hip flexors tend to be the problem during the rehab process. So, um, mm-hmm. so I think that's a, you know, it's a great way to think about just leaving them alone and letting them come along for the ride. So I guess using this article then as a springboard to talk a little bit more about the hip abductors. How do you look at hip abductor pain, strength deficits, or even abductor tears in your practice? And why do you think these are so important in the world of hip preservation? Well, I mean, the, the, the prevalence of, of greater trochanteric pain syndrome is probably way higher than the presence of, presence of FAI, um, you know, at least at least in a population older than 60, I, I think that would be a fair statement to make. I see you know, gluteal weakness a lot in uh, patients with FAI and label tears, and and you know sometimes they have lateral hip pain, and, and you have to try to ferret out: is it primary lateral hip pain, or is it because they're compensating for their hip joint, and that's why they're having lateral hip pain. Uh, an injection can really help with that. Um, if you do an injection and they get 100% pain relief intra- it, with an intraarticular injection, then that's absolutely referred pain uh, from the hip joint. Uh, sometimes patients have concurrent gluteal tendinosis or uh, gluteal weakness and FAI, and if they don't improve with therapy, then a lot of times, similar to the article uh, that I cited, uh, they will get better. So 
um, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a reassurance and, and telling them that uh, doing the, uh, you know, label repair or label reconstruction or label augmentation or, or whatever um, you end up doing with the labum and uh, the impingement is going to address the the hip joint and then the therapy will address the abductor. So I, I like to, I guess I like to use metaphors. So I tell patients that uh, the hip joint in my hip-centric world is the center of a bicycle wheel. And there's all these spokes that come out of the bicycle wheel. And some go to your ad, adductors, some go to your adductors, some go to your pelvic floor, some go to your SI joint, some go to your hamstring. Um, so all of these are uh, connections off the center of the bicycle wheel. So if I do a hip arthroscopy, I'm changing the center of the bicycle wheel. I'm changing the whole wheel. So just because you change the center of the wheel doesn't mean that the spokes have changed and they still have to be addressed. But now that they now they can be addressed because the wheel is in better alignment. That's a fantastic analogy. And you're absolutely right. There's, you know, it's we're talking today mostly about the hip abductors, but there's also the the pubic bone, the lumbar spine, the, even the knee that are all connected to the hip joint and can all improve uh, after fixing the actual pathology of the hip joint itself. Absolutely. And in general, this, you know, this, this article that was published, your editorial as well, is really bringing more awareness to that, to the abductors. And I agree 100% that these are so important in treating our FAI patients. And so I think, uh, you know, hopefully as time goes on here with more research related to the surrounding structures around the hip, we'll really get to the bottom of, uh, you know, how we can make things better. And I, I do appreciate that analogy of the ultimate physical therapy uh, that, <laughs> that we're using in your uh, editorial title here. You know, at, the, at this point, I'd also like to ask, uh, you know, how you approach uh, abductor tears, for example. So in a patient who presents with an abductor tear um, with or without other symptoms of FAI, what is your general approach to that diagnosis? Uh, a good history and physical exam is, is critical. Is this, uh, is this traumatic? You know, how old is the patient? Is this a, a degenerative attritional tear or is this, you know, somebody who's a 45-year-old triathlete? E- even with a partial thickness tear on MRI, which a lot of patients would come into my office already having one, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, trial physical therapy, uh, just like with a partial thickness rotator cuff in the shoulder would be uh, very appropriate. The younger somebody is, the less likely I'm going to do multiple cortisone injections. Um, I mean, I think one or two is still probably appropriate, uh, even in a relatively younger patient. You know, at least in 2021, I think if they failed that, I would uh, at least offer endoscopic uh, gluteal repair, like a, a, a takedown and repair if it's partial thickness, or if they if it's a full thickness, then do a you know formal double row gluteal repair. Um, I've had some success with orthobiologics for partial thickness tears. Uh, in patients who you know, want to try it and want to avoid surgery, it, it's been successful some of the time. Um, you know, so that's something I would uh, talk to patients about. 
Um, I've had uh, some experience with biologic patches. Uh, I think that for partial thickness tears, that that can be an option. And, and the rehab is certainly, I'm much more aggressive in rehab with uh, doing a biologic patch than I would be with a um, you know, formal gluteal repair. So one other thing, you know, the, the study itself utilized MRIs postoperatively, uh, and they used them in postoperative FAI hips. What are your thoughts on MRI after FAI surgery? Do you routinely use these in your practice? And what are some of the limitations that we see with them? Well, I'll start by saying I would love to use them routinely in my practice. I think I could learn a lot by getting an MRI six months out after uh, doing surgery. Um, I don't think that's very feasible, uh, at least in my practice. So, uh, you know, typically the people I get repeat MRIs are on people that aren't uh, doing well. You know, they're not progressing with therapy. They uh, continue to have hip pain or they have a, a new pain around their hip that they didn't have before surgery. Uh, that's typically when I use uh, MRIs, and you know, it, and I think partly because we don't get, at least I don't get MRIs that frequently after surgery, they can be hard to interpret. Um, I think there's a lot of times there's some scar tissue buildup uh, at your label repair site, for instance, or a, a label reconstruction can look a lot different. Um, than a label repair, and you know, and certainly, uh, you know, when you read the reports from radiologists, if they don't know that you did a label reconstruction, then uh, the the report could be a bit vague or confusing. But you know, I always read all my own MRIs, but you know, certainly a label reconstruction doesn't look the same as a label repair. And, uh, neither one looks the same as an intact native labrum that never had an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even I think in the primary native hip joint, the hip MRI can be such a challenge to interpret because it's such a concentric joint and, you know, it's deep within the body. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that using three, t- tes- three Tesla MRIs, for example, can really improve our visualization. But the postoperative hip MRI is still a significant challenge. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a hundred percent three T non-contrast MRI. So I, that, that was another big change in my practice about six or seven years ago. As I switched to just having patients get three T MRIs, and then they don't have to have a uh, arthrogram. It's the the visualization is so similar. Agreed. And they really appreciate not having that arthrogram injected into their hip. So I think this was a good oh, practice change for us all. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know about you, but I detect under ultrasound. And, you know, so with ultrasound, you don't have to hit the bone. You just you know, go into the capsule. Um, you know, a lot of times when they get these done at, at hospitals or imaging centers, they're having it done under uh, fluoroscopy or, or even CT. And they're hitting the bone and then backing up and then putting the additional dye in to make sure that it's inside the joint before they do the, the arthrogram. And 99% of the time, they, they're they worried if I'm going to be doing the injection, if they've already had an MRI arthrogram. And then afterwards, the most common 
uh, comment is, that's it? Because <laughs> <they, laughs> just, it's just a five-second thing under ultrasound. It's, it's so you know, quick and, and relatively painless. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Derek, so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. It's been a true pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Andrea. It was great talking to you as well. Dr. Ochi's editorial commentary titled, When Gluteal Strengthening Fails, Hip FAI Correction is the Ultimate Physical Therapy, and the article it accompanies titled, Volume of the Gluteus Maximus and Minimus Increases After Hip Arthroscopy for Femoroacetabular Impingement Syndrome, can both be found in the March 2021 issue of Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes this episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you.